Well, today we're starting a new teaching series called Judge Not. Judge Not is one of the most recognizable things that Jesus taught, whether you've been in church your entire life, whether you're not a Christian, you haven't been around. Likely, if you've heard much about Jesus, you've maybe heard this, judge not, thou shalt not judge. We should not be judgmental. And yet, surprisingly, in our culture at least, I can't speak for every culture and every point in history, but at least in our culture, followers of Jesus do not have a great reputation for being non-judgmental. Might be fair, might be not fair. You might be able to step back and say, oh, I have argue against that. We're not judgmental and all this kind of stuff. But I would tell you that we hear that enough and it is, it is enough in the reputation of the church in the Western world, in our culture at this point in time, that uh, whether it's true for you as an individual or us as a church, we hear it enough that we have to take it seriously. And I think probably more times than not, uh, it is truth, or there's some truth to it, that Christians are, are judgmental. And even though we have this very straightforward teaching from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the, the biggest blocks we have of Jesus' teaching, one of the core spots where we find Jesus telling us what God is like and how we should respond with our lives, Jesus teaches us, judge not, and yet it is a difficult thing to do. It's difficult for us to wrap our heads around it. Uh, we are often seen as people uh, who are holier than thou. We carry this attitude. And maybe Maybe that's because, we might tell ourselves, because we have high moral standards, because we read the Bible, because we read about Jesus, and Jesus gives us a high moral standard. And so, uh, of course, we're not trying to be judgmental, but we're just kind of saying, this is what we feel like we've been taught and, and, and how we ought to live. And so there's this, this, and yet it comes off oftentimes as, oh, those people are holier than thou. They think they know everything and how everybody should live. And yet that easily drips into hypocrisy. Because people will look and say, man, I go to church or I talk to my friends who are Christians and they've got this really high standard, but when you get to know them or if you follow them around long enough, you find out that behind the scenes, they don't even follow their own moral standard. I hate to say it, but if you look long enough and hard enough, and sometimes it doesn't take that long, at Christian people in churches, it's not hard to prove that we have a high standard that we don't live up to. That there's all kinds of examples of how we over and over fall short of that, where we say one thing and we do another thing, where we tell people this is how you should live, and then in somewhere in our lives, we're not living that out ourselves. And so, again, we could argue about that reputation and say, no, we're not all judgmental, and maybe there's some bad apples, but really, I think we have to take it seriously, and we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, what does it mean to judge not? So let me start by asking this question and try to give a couple of answers, although I think there's probably a whole pile. Why is is it that we are so judgmental? Why is it that this is a temptation? Why is it that sometimes you might be moving through life and you go, oh, you know what? I do look down on other people. I am kind of a hypocrite. You know, I do start looking at people and I feel like, how could they do that? And what kind of person they are? And just be honest about the fact that, that some of us have that in our minds and in our hearts. We live it out and we do it collectively as well. So why is that? couple of reasons I'll point out. Again, you could probably come up with others. Might not be a bad exercise for you to ask in the moments where you feel that in your own life. Why? Why is it there? Number one, perhaps because we're self-righteous. We're trying to find ways to feel good about who we are and how we live. And perhaps even to deal with the things that are in our lives that we know really shouldn't be there. The faults that we have or the shortcomings, the things that we've done. Maybe there's parts of our story that we are not proud of. That we, had, we wish never were there. That I wish I had never let my life get there. I wish I never had that experience. I, nef I never wish that I made that decision. That shouldn't be in my life. I wish I could overcome some of these character flaws that I have in my life. 
And so in an attempt to be self-righteous, that is to find a way for me to deal with that, we kind of become spiritual bullies, right? You ever, um, we talk about to kids what bullies are all about. Even just young, when they're a kid, either they're a kid, they go to school and maybe somebody's bugging them. And do you know one of the things we say about bullies when we're trying to teach our kids and they're trying to get their heads around, why would this kid be mean to me? Why would they say that to me? Why would they, why would they do something that hurts me? And, and one of the things we try and teach people is, you know, bullies usually are trying to make themselves feel better. And so by putting others down, they feel like they can build their, themselves up. Perhaps for some of us, that's how we're living out our lives, just in a spiritual sense. We want to build ourselves up. We want to make, uh, make ourselves feel like, I'm, I'm kind of a good person. I'm doing okay. Or at least, I'm not doing as bad as they are. At least I would never do that. At least I would never let myself be in that situation. Interesting, I heard a preacher say recently that if you're self-righteous, you're probably not self-aware. But wow, isn't that a deep and profound thing? If you're walking around and you have this, I'm doing okay, but oh, these people. Oh, I would never do that. I would never think that. I could never get myself into that situation. But I'm doing okay. Probably you don't have a real good handle on who you are, on what God is doing in your life, on what God is doing in somebody else's life. You may not be very self-aware. In fact, maybe that's the point, is you don't want to be that self-aware. You don't want to be that honest about where you're at or where other people are at. And so we have this self-righteous, I need a mechanism for me to be able to feel better about me or us to feel better about us. And so sometimes we can build ourselves up at the expense of others, pushing other people down. Second reason, um, maybe it's because, and again, this is pretty honest, but maybe it's because we're kind of miserable and a little bit jealous. We look at other people and they're doing pretty good at life. And they're happy, or they seem to be happy, and they're doing pretty well. But they're not how, living how we would live. And they're getting away with it. <laughs> oh, I would never do that. But look, they're doing that and everything seems fine. Well, that's because they're greedy. They probably don't give any of their money away and they're just enjoying life, spending all their money on themselves and look at that wonderful lifestyle and they can buy whatever they want and I can't because I'm working hard from God and giving all my money away and living simply. But yeah, have fun now. But you will be judged. Right now by me, you will be judged. And maybe we're just trying to find a way to go, man, I am slugging it out. I'm trying to be good. I'm working really hard. I'm trying not to do all the fun, sinful things that I'm not supposed to do. And these people are out there being so sinful, but they're having a great time doing it. And we're kind of miserable and we're kind of jealous. I wish I could have fun like them. I wish I was carefree like them. I wish I was unencumbered like them. And man, I would never do that, but they're getting away with it. And I thought we were just supposed to follow God and then we would be happy and at peace and everything would go well. And it is not. Now you could probably add a whole bunch of things to this list of why we're judgmental. Those are a couple of things, reasons why I think deep down, if we look at our motivations, why we might feel like we are judgmental. But let's just take it in this series. If you can follow me along, Long, we'll just drop a little bit of our defenses and say, at least some of this time, some of the time, and maybe more than some of the time, Christians do tend to be judgmental. So let's just learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and to judge not. 
Now, a lot of questions come along with that that I hope we can answer or at least talk about in this series because while many of us have experienced uh, that judgmental religiosity, either because we've been judgmental or are judgmental or because other people have been judgmental against us, that happens all the time too. There's probably a pile of people listening, you're in the room, you're online, and you go, man, I've been the victim of judgmental people, uh, maybe in your family, maybe in a church experience, maybe in a friend group. Uh, but many of us also have the opposite experience where we're afraid to judge anybody or anything at all, to the point where we, we can't say anything about how anybody lives, what they do. Maybe you've been in a situation, could be in a family, could be in a church setting, where there's somebody and they're doing something that's obviously hurtful, obviously unhealthy, a pattern in life where you would go, this can't be good for anyone. And yet everybody steps back and go, oh, we can't say anything, don't want to be judgmental. I couldn't weigh in there. We've got to live and let live. You be you. I'll do my thing. You do yours. And we, we can't even talk about it. And sometimes you might look around and go, really, we're just going to let this happen and nobody's going to address the elephant in the room. Nobody's going to talk about these things that are happening that, that I think we can all be clear don't happen. And so when we read this and we go, judge not, some of us will go, oh, there's a lot we got to learn in Jesus about being self-righteous and, and hypocrites and all the rest of it. But we might say, is there some kind of answer on the other side of the spectrum where we've experienced that no one can comment on anything, whether it's positive or negative, good or bad, uh, any of that, because we don't want to be judgmental. And maybe that's more your experience that you come from a place where you go, it just seems like, like, like everything's wishy-washy and when we don't, you know, I can't, I can't even say anything to anyone else or they're going to say, oh, you're judgmental. So what we want to do in this series is drill down on some of these issues. What does it mean that we should not judge? What does it mean to follow Jesus when he says, judge not? Is there a time when judging is appropriate? Is there a difference between how we judge those who are part of our Christian community, those of us who are part of a church, and those who aren't? And I want to drill down on some of those questions uh, for the next four weeks, including today. So let's start here in Matthew chapter 7. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, again, this big chunk of teaching uh, that's central for Jesus and, and who he wants us to see God as and how he wants us to relate our lives. And he says, judge not. And then he gives us really the reason. Judge not that you not be judged. What does it mean to judge? Uh, just like in English, uh, the words originally in Greek or Jesus would have spoken them in Aramaic. Uh, there's a range of meaning for words. So we have all kinds of words that mean not just one specifically th thing, but based on the context could mean uh, a range of different things, have different connotations. So in English, one of those words that's really obvious is love. We can talk about love, but there's a, a big spectrum of what love means. So I can love pizza and I can love my wife. Now you understand where there's overlap and what that means, but hopefully in how different those things are. I don't love my wife the way I love pizza. But there's a range of meanings. Same with this word, uh, really all words, uh, but to judge. It could mean to evaluate or discern it could mean judicial litigation, so this could be when someone is uh, on trial or is being sued. It could be a bestowal of a reward, so judge, people, judge someone in uh, some kind of competition. Hey, you won, here's your trophy. Could be a pronouncement of guilt. It could be an absolute determinant of a person's fate. So this same word uh, could be used for all of these kind of things, and the way that we understand it and try and figure it out is through the context. So we read around whatever it is that we're reading, these verses, and we try and figure it out. It's fairly clear that when Jesus uses this word in Matthew chapter 7, we're talking about the last couple, this pronouncement of guilt or an absolute determination of somebody's fate, uh, or really to make a negative evaluation on somebody else. 
And Jesus, right away, like I said, he provides the reason why he says you should judge not. It's because so that you will not be judged. Verse 2 says, For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Literally speaking, the way this is written in the Greek, it's very emphatic. And it's using the same word, that word about to judge or judgment over and over again. It says, with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. With the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. It's the opposite of way of saying what Jesus said early in the Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning, when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's very similar to what we learned about forgiveness in a a couple of series ago, a couple of months ago. We did a whole teaching series on forgiveness, and Jesus essentially taught the same principle, the principle of reciprocity, that if you want to be forgiven, forgive. If you want mercy, show mercy. With the kind of judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And the measure that you use it, it will be measured to you. One scholar, commentator, he puts it this way, commenting on these verses. He said uh, that what Jesus is saying is God prefers to act in mercy, but he who wants to put another on trial invites God to put him on trial. He who condemns another for his failings invites God to condemn him on his own failings. That God's actual preset default is that God wants to show mercy If you want to primarily show judgment, then you're actually inviting God to show you the kind of judgment that you are showing someone else. This reciprocity that you get to live in the cycle that you want to live in. If you want to live in grace and forgiveness and mercy, well, then you need to choose that not just for yourself, but you need to choose it for other people. But if you are choosing to judge those people, you are inviting that judgment to come back on yourself. In Luke, uh, Luke records what Jesus taught here, and he fills it out a little bit more, uh, at least in this example. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So Matthew had recorded it and said, with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. What are they saying? This is the, spoken to an audience. It's primarily, most of them are farmers or something close to a farmer. The way you would typically buy stuff is by trading certain commodities, certain goods. So imagine that you go and you're going to trade some grain for something else. And so you have to measure your grain. How much do I have? How much am I paying? And then whoever you're buying something from has to measure what you're trading for and make sure that it's a fair trade, that you've made a good purchase. And so in this context, it would have been, they would have used the purchaser's measure. So it could have been a measuring stick, could have been a container that something fits in, um, could have been a scale to weigh something. But whatever the purchaser brought and said, I'm going to give you this much, this much grain, this much whatever, and we're going to weigh it, we're going to measure it. Um, then when it comes to measure what you're giving me in return, you use the purchaser's measure. So the person that's selling something doesn't say, well, I have a different measure. Why? You want to make sure that you're on level ground. So the way that you measure it is the way I'm going to measure it. And then we know that when we talk about this much grain is worth this much of olive oil or something else, then we're we're making the trade that we're supposed to. But we have to measure the same way. Because if you have a container the different size of mine and we're trading container for container, that is not fair. So we're going to make sure that my measure is your measure. We use the same one. Luke says to use a good measure 
pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. So now imagine uh, the person you're buying something from gets your container, you've come, you've paid them, and they take their grain and they fill the thing up to the top. And then they go, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. And they press it down and they shake it together and they press it down and then they pour some more on and then they pour some more on and they keep pressing it down and they go, I just want to make sure you get everything that I could possibly give you to the point where it's overflowing into your lap. Probably we, we see uh, these are people who would have worn a robe. Some of them would have had some kind of pocket in the front or they just fold it up. It's like this person is filling the container so much that it's overflowing onto my lap and I got to use my shirt to try and carry all that they're trying to give me. What's the point? A good measure is a generous measure. A good measure to judge other people is when you're being generous towards them, when you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, when you're giving them everything that you can give them, when you're giving them mercy. So if you will be judged with the same measure that you judge, how will you be judged? How do you want to be judged? Here's how I want to be judged. If someone's going to judge me, I want them, so let's say I've done something wrong. And someone's going to judge me. How do I want to be judged? If you're going to judge me, I want you to take into consideration all the mitigating factors, right? If I've hurt you, if I've done something that I'm not supposed to do, if there's an obvious flaw in my life, and you're going to look at me and, oh, people are going to judge me for that, I want you to take all the mitigating factors into account. I want you to consider my, my childhood and anything that lacked there. I want you to consider if there's any trauma in my life. I want you to consider my natural temperament and what things are hard for me. I want you to consider that I was tired and I was hungry and I couldn't control myself. I want you to consider all the things that might make it really difficult for me to have done what I was supposed to do and avoid what I was not supposed to do. I want you to take that all into consideration. I want, and I think we all want, more understanding and less criticism. Hey, maybe, yeah, I did do something wrong, and I can admit that, but if you could just understand me, please, please don't just criticize me from afar without taking in consideration my life and my struggles and my troubles and all the things that might have contributed to me making a bad decision. We all want people to understand us more, to know our story, to know the why behind some of what we've done or how we've gotten ourselves to a certain point in our lives. We all want more compassion and less condemnation. Please don't just write me off. Don't just say, and since you've done something wrong, I want no part of you, and you deserve any, every punishment that you've given me, given to, and, and all the rest. But instead, I want you to still love me. I don't want you to walk away, even if I've done something wrong. I think we all want more mercy and less cruelty. I might not deserve it, but I want you to give me mercy. Maybe forgive me. Maybe give me another chance. These are things we all want. And so if we think about the measure that we're measuring with and we say, if my measure that I think about other people is going to be the same measure that's going to come back to me, I I need my measure to be generous. I need to try and be more understanding towards other people. I need to be more compassionate. I need to have more mercy. I need to think of things from their side, not just from my side. And if I want that in return, that's what I need to put out there. So what's your, what's your measure? You know, when you leave someone and there's something that bothered you and, and you go home and, and you're, you're talking to your spouse about that and, and you're talking about them and how could they do this and oh, the, their marriage looks like this. What measure are you giving them? What level of understanding or mercy or compassion are you extending to them? Because your measure for them will be the measure that comes back to you. Profoundly 
challenging. Verse 3, so why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So question, why do you see the speck? So why do you see this, this little thing in somebody else's eye, but you don't notice the log, the huge thing that is in your eye? And I think the answer is kind of obvious because it's easy to minimize my faults and to maximize somebody else's. It's just easier for us to look in the magnifying glass towards someone else than the mirror towards our own selves. It's a lot harder. It's more emotional. It's more convicting. It can sometimes be very painful to look in the mirror and just be honest about our own motivations and our own attitudes and our own actions. It's far easier to look at someone else and go, oh yeah, I see your problems. I see your shortcomings. It's so clear to me. Well, Jesus says, probably it's, it's not. And I think it's because of our self-righteousness, maybe our jealousy or whatever else. It's easy to become judgmental, to pronounce that negative judgment on someone else, to judge based on appearances, on our perspective, on what we can see, to be harsh, to be condemning, to try to make ourselves feel better by judging someone else more harshly than we would ourselves. But it's really no fun to think about our own plank, our own log in our eyes, because that's, it's hard, because then we have to do something about it, because focusing on the faults of others sometimes makes it easy to distract us from focusing on our own. So we end up looking through the magnifying glass at others instead of looking at the mirror in the mirror to ourselves. And it's easy to become preoccupied with other people's problems instead of dealing with our own and still kind of feeling good about ourselves, self-righteous. And yes, I hate to say it, that makes us hypocrites. Jesus in verse 5 says, you hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you want really a proper perspective, if you really want to see clearly, if, and this is, man, this is tough because you've got to be honest about your motivations and, and what's true in your life, but if you actually really want to help other people move forward, and, and not just in a judgmental way, but in a helpful, I'm your friend, I love you, I care for you, I want to walk with you as you move forward kind of way, then you've got to deal with the log in your own eye so that you can have a clear perspective to actually see the way forward. In Luke's gospel, again, he has Jesus saying, how can a blind person lead another blind person? If you're not going to clear out your own vision by looking inward, then you're not going to be able to help someone move forward. Hypocrite, obviously, someone uh, whose inward reality and outward reality don't match up. It's easy for me to see something on the outside, see something in you without dealing with something in me. But it's time to stop looking through the magnifying glass at others and look in the mirror at ourselves. So how do we do that? Because self-righteous people are typically not self-aware people. We may not be seeing clearly where God is working in our lives or other people's lives if we're not willing to do that. So I want to introduce a practice to you. For some of you, this might be, uh, might be something that is um, familiar to you. For others, it may not be. It is called the prayer of examine, and it is something that uh, people have been doing uh, for centuries and centuries. Um, and it's just a time, many people do it at the end of the day, to reflect on what God's doing in your life and in the lives of others in your day, and then to look towards the, the next day. So I'm going to run through some of the steps of that, and would encourage you this week, maybe just to take some time out, a great time just before bed, and to be able to practice this prayer of examine, and hopefully to refocus a little bit and help your perspective. 
So there's, uh, you can get different variations on this, but I want to share with you maybe five different movements in this prayer. Number one, sit down quietly, become aware of God's presence. Take time to be undistracted, to turn off uh, the TV, the podcast, the music in the background, to find a quiet place. Maybe the kids have finally gotten to sleep. Maybe there's a quiet moment. Maybe it's even as you're lying down to go to bed. But just to be quiet and to know that God is with you, that God wants to speak to you, that you can hear from God, and to be in that, that space, to know that his presence is there wherever you are, whatever kind of day you've had, that God is with you. Secondly, to give thanks to think of the things that you're grateful for, to express that gratitude for God. Might be things that have happened during your day. Uh, might be the things that God has provided for you. Might be your family, uh, whatever it is. But allow uh, the things that you're grateful for to kind of bubble up and express that to God. Start in his presence, giving him thanks for who he is, for what he's done for you, for what he continues to provide for you. And just to move your heart into that space uh, of, of generosity towards uh, God's generosity uh, and to thank him for it. And then to review your day. So to mentally go back through the day, to think back about uh, who you were with, where you were, what you did, what you said, could be very ordinary things, but recall even the sights and the sounds, the smells, the conversations, to think about your thoughts, to think about your feelings, what you experienced, what really got you going during the day, where you were excited about, what was discouraging, what was hurtful, what were the different emotions that you felt, whether they were really good or whether they were not so good. Give your attention to those moments and offer them to God. And as in the first step, you acknowledge that God's presence is with you now. Acknowledge that God's presence was with you throughout your whole day. Ask God to give his perspective on your day. Ask him where he was moving. And perhaps you didn't notice in the moment, but where God was moving in somebody else's life. Maybe God was doing something in a conversation and you quickly moved past it. Maybe there were moments where you were busy and, and, and all that. But as you reflect, you realize God perhaps was doing something more significant than you realized in that moment. Maybe there are big things that are obvious, but you review them. Ask God to give you a perspective. And then number four, to face your faults. As you review the day, just to be able to be honest, to think about uh, where are the things where I fell short? That was a conversation where I, I spoke in anger. Oh, there was something I said about someone else that was very negative. Oh, I was judging somebody. Oh, here were some things where my attitude was totally off. Oh, this was a decision I made that was bad. And not in a condemning way, not in this, oh, I, I got to, you know, heap on judgment upon myself, but just in a very honest way to be willing to face your faults. Perhaps to even uh, invite God in and read a scripture or recite a scripture like Psalm 51, verse 10 and 11 that say, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. To long with God um, for him to help you transform those faults or failures, the things where you have fallen short. To be able to look in the mirror, even if it's been a, a day where it's hard to look in the mirror, but to be okay with that. 
And then number five, to look forward to, to tomorrow. Uh, just to scan through what your plans are for the next day, to, God, to allow God to be involved in your plans, to give your plans, surrender them uh, to him and, and allow him uh, to work and to change your mind if there's certain things that you need to change your mind on or to go in a different direction. But this is a way, for those of us who are self, uh, self-righteous and therefore perhaps not so self-aware, to help get God's perspective and slow down and to evaluate our day and even to be honest about the things Uh, that shouldn't have been there, the faults that we have. I wonder if one of the reasons why we have such a hard time dealing with our own sins and rather judging others is because we don't have a strong enough mechanism for dealing with them. So if there's sin in my life, if there's some kind of problem, if there's something there, we're not sure how to get rid of it. We're not sure how to move forward. We're not sure how to grow beyond. And so our self-righteousness sometimes becomes the mechanism from that. If I can tear somebody else down, maybe I can build myself up. If I'm not as bad as somebody else, in my mind at least, then maybe I'm kind of a good person. That if there's a reason why I'm kind of miserable and jealous of everybody else, maybe it's because I'm just so devoted to God and I'm doing such a good job and they might seem like they're doing better, but it's because they're just getting away with their sin. And we don't know what to do with it. We don't have that strong mechanism. And so we become judgmental. I wonder if one of the other reasons is because our primary view of God for many of us, however this is seeped in, something somebody's taught us, something that is our own voice in our head, is that God is primarily angry and harsh and wants to punish us. That we feel like he's looking over our shoulder and every mistake he just wants to jump on us and remind us that we're not that good and that we deserve this punishment and that that he's going to come and get us. And so we have to find some way to say, no, 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 that's not me. We ignore that. We push it away. We compare to other people. So today in our closing moments, uh, I want to offer you that mechanism and to be reminded uh, of how it is that God wants us to deal with our sins, with our faults, with our shortcomings. And so today we're going to take communion together. And we're just going to have a couple of moments. Um, What I'd really like you to know is that God's judgment is generous. Really, it is. That's his disposition towards us. And I know many of us, we've been told the opposite. That God is punishing and he's angry and he's after us. Sometimes we confuse, you know, God, the Father off in heaven who's mad at us and Jesus who's loving and Jesus kind of saves us from God. That's very problematic, by the way. Rather than God who sends his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That God so loved us that he sent his son. And that God's judgment is generous. Do you know the passages that we read in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, uh, where Jesus is teaching us not to be so judgmental, not to judge, and the measure, and and where Luke had recorded Jesus saying uh, the measure uh, being pushed down and shaken and, and heaped and abundant. Do you know why Luke says that? Do you know why he can say that to us and say, your judgment should be generous? It's all right there. He says, you should be compassionate because God is compassionate. You should love your enemy because God loves loves his enemy. He's trying to get, get us to have our heads around the fact that God's judgment is generous. And I know, by the way, and this is complicated, we could spend a whole bunch of time on this. I know you can find in the, the, the Bible where God is judgmental, where God says he's going to judge people. I get that. Judges nations, uh, all the rest of it, and God is the ultimate judge. But what Jesus is trying to get our heads around is come to the cross and learn that God's judgment is generous to you. That is where God wants to show his mercy to you. It's how he wants you to move forward. It's how he wants to deal with the past. It's how transformation happens. Is when you find out that deep down God is love. 
And does that mean that God can't be angry and God can't, can't judge and all the rest of it? I don't have time to get into that today. God is God. He is the good judge. He judges us uh, properly and, and inwardly, and he knows more than we could ever, and so that he's the proper judge. But Jesus is trying to say, listen, God is inviting you to come to him, and his measure to you is pressed down, shaken out, and overflowing. You can't carry all of his mercy. It's too much for you. Come to the cross. That is where God longs for judgment of sin to happen, on the cross, where God takes it upon himself and offers us forgiveness and grace. You get to choose the measure, by the way. It's kind of what Jesus says. You can say, no, 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 no. I'm going to be exacting and punishing or whatever. That's up to you. But the measure that you use is the measure you'll get it back. And God invites us to Jesus, to the cross, to the overflowing mercy, and to say, why don't we take that measure? Let's use that measure. You use it, I'll use it. Isn't that beautiful? It's the principle of reciprocity. Uh, so today we're going to take communion together. You'll find the elements in the chair just in front of you. Um, just this, this small cup of juice and a wafer on top of it. And uh, I love that when Jesus, at the Last Supper, Jesus... Um, he instituted this. He gave his disciples, his followers, uh, bread and then wine and invited them to eat and to drink. And I love that, that uh, picture because what he's saying is, I want you to be nourished by this. I want this to build you up. I want this to make you strong. I want you to know that, that you can have the energy and, and, and everything that you need to go forward. And you say, well, what do we need to go forward? How do we, how do we deal with our past? How do we overcome our present when we need to? And Jesus says, Here's some bread. Take and eat. This is my body given for you. I mean, eat it. Be strengthened. Have what you need, the sustenance. And so today, uh, I just invite you to peel that top layer if you'd like to. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and, and uh, you're not here and this isn't something that um, you put your faith in, then you don't need to participate in this. We, we don't want to put that on you. Um, but today, if you just want to say yes to Jesus, yes, I need everything that Jesus has given me. I need that full, generous measure of mercy. Uh, would you just take that top wafer, hold it in your hand for a second. We'll eat it together. But I want you to hold it as we just uh, say thank you for the generosity of God. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your Son, that he would give his body on the cross for us. Thank you that you give us everything that we need, the strength that we need, even when we feel so weak. God, thank you that we don't have to prove our own self-righteousness, that we don't have to come up with ways in and of ourselves to, to feel like we are enough. We don't have to compare ourselves to other people and push them down to lift ourselves up because rather you've given us everything that we need. So we thank you that Jesus Christ uh, stepped into this world, gave his body, took on our sin on the cross. So now take that wafer. Hear Jesus say, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that we're not trapped by our past or even our present shortcomings. We pray that your desire is to show us mercy and a mercy that is abundant and overflowing, that you want to forgive us and restore us and move us forward. We thank you that um, 
Jesus was willing to show what it looked like not to fight back, but instead um, to take on our sin, to stop the retribution, to stop the judgment and that cycle, and instead to offer us mercy. Today, God, I pray uh, for anyone who perhaps is here or listening along and is really struggling with the fact that you really love them, you really do love them, and that you've forgiven them. And I pray today that as we drink together, that we would know so deeply the forgiveness of our sin, that we're not defined by our sin or our past, but instead we're defined by your presence, by who you've created us to be. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. So take the juice now and hear Jesus say, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And I believe the more that we're filled up with the mercy of God, the more that we're nourished by the mercy of God, the more we will be able to extend the mercy of God. And so that's my challenge to you as we go out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for showing us what abundant mercy looks like. May we live in it and may we extend it in your name.